Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello, good morning, and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. It's been another amazing week in the unpredictable world of English football. Roman Abramovich has just had his assets frozen by the government, which uh, will form a major part of this uh, podcast, I would imagine. We're just dealing with that news and trying to take it in and what it means. So um, we'll start off with that. But um, whilst happened, Liverpool lost at home at Anfield for the first time in almost 12 months, but still meant through to the uh, to the last day of the Champions League. Uh in Manchester, there was nothing surprising about Man City's dismantling of Neighbours United in a ridiculously one-sided derby last weekend. Uh, we'll discuss that uh, and look, at, look ahead to the, some seismic games this weekend um, at both ends of the table. Uh, and what, what will happen to Thomas Tuchel now in terms of how he deals with this, this, this amazing news that Bramovich is um, basically being put on hold in terms of trying to sell Chelsea. That, that, that will probably be the main story of this, this week and weeks to come. So joining me to discuss this all and more and more is uh, Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, Matt Dunn, a football aficionado of the Daily Express, and Simon Mullock, Chief Football Writer of the Sunday Mirror. Morning, fellas. Morning. Well, I was going to start by talking about the fallout of the... Um, the derby last week because obviously it was um, pretty shambolic for United and pretty impressive from City but we've also been taken aback in the last sort of 20 minutes by this news that the government have seized some of the branch's assets one of which is Chelsea Football Club uh, Andy it's difficult to sort of sum up what this will mean but looking at basically the basic facts of it is that basically they'll still be able to play games Mm. But ticket season ticket holders will be able to attend games. Current ticket holders will be able to attend games. It won't be other fans won't be able to buy tickets for the game. In other in other words, existing ticket holders will able to be able to go. Mm. We've seen all these um, billionaires line up to try and do a deal with um, with Abramovich. Nick Candy was the latest guy to uh, enter the room this week. But that all appears to be off now. I mean. There's not going to be a sale in the imminent future, is there? No, 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 not at all. I mean, it doesn't appear to have it. It is, it is off. I mean, first of all, you know, we say all these billionaires wanting to do a deal. I mean, I'm not sure. You know, we heard a lot about it. And normally when you hear about them wanting to do a deal, a deal doesn't get done. Listen, in the first place, I thought it was just a really bad look, the idea that um, that people would do business with a Russian oligarch, sanctioned or not sanctioned. Uh, I thought it, it was a bad look for anyone to get involved in that. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that getting to Russian oligarchs, whether sanctioned or not, you know, puts the pressure on them to put pressure on Putin. So that's why we should never have been in this situation. Now he's been sanctioned officially. I mean, all bets are off. You know, when you say imminent, uh, no imminent sale, I can't see the sale happening for a long, long time. You know, you, Roman Abramovich, let's just let's just let's just see what see what this means. So his assets are frozen. So Chelsea Football Club, one of his assets, his UK assets. Um, is frozen. Right, so the club so the club is frozen. It's been given a special license so it can carry on functioning. It can keep playing, it can keep paying wages. We'll probably discuss more where that money's going to come from. Um, and and fans will be allowed to go. And its future as a cultural um place of significance within um within the UK has been guaranteed by the government. So okay, oh that's all well and good. But Roman Abramovich cannot sell it. 
while it is frozen. Now, the government can't sell it because it's not seize the assets. It can't do that. Presumably, it can now only be sold when it is unfrozen. And when is that going to be? Well, it's going to be, it's certainly going to be not until after the end of what's happening in Ukraine. And the ramifications then for Russia at the end of that will go on and on. So you really cannot see a time. I mean, in, 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 in the near future, when Chelsea Football Club will be sold to one of these billionaires that we're told I've been queuing up to buy it over the last week, week or so. That then places, you know, and then it cannot go on then. So, so Chelsea at the moment will be able to pay players, presumably through through whatever cash is, through the TV money that they get, et cetera, et cetera. But they're not allowed, that isn't allowed to go to Roman Abramovich. So eventually, we, we're always going to be in a situation where the governments who've frozen Chelsea, essentially Chelsea Football Club, however, who are given it special dispensations to carry on, are we going to be in a situation where the government is going to pay, is going to have to pay Romelu Lukaku 400 grand a week? Well, me as a taxpayer, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be happy with that. So it just begs a whole load of questions. And then, and, and then we go on to the fact that they can't sell tickets, so season ticket holders can go. So there can be no away fans. How do they full? How do they fulfil the criteria to have Champions League away fans in? If there, if there's no away fans allowed into Stamford Bridge in the Premier League, is that a level playing field for the rest of the Premier League? The ramifications are honestly, you know, we're just getting to grips with them now, but they could be far more seismic than we even think now. Matt, they can't. We're like we're trying to sort of work out what this all means and we don't know the full implication yet, but I'm led to believe that they won't be able to agree any new contracts with any new employees, which obviously involves players. So, so that when the summer transfer market comes around, they won't be able to sign anyone. No. Is that what you're led to believe is true? Yeah, absolutely. That's what frozen means. There's no activity. They've got a special license to allow... Um, to pay match day staff and whatever to get games on uh, and to get people season ticket holders only with a pre-agreed arrangement with the club um, in through the doors. Um, the problem that we've got, the big the big problem, I mean, I've spoken to a couple of quite senior administrative figures in the game and they're utterly flummoxed by what this means because let's, let's get it right, this is completely unprecedented. So there's no model, there's no anything that we're, yeah, basically... The Premier League, the government, Chelsea are starting with a blank piece of paper this morning and working out how they get themselves out of this mess and uh, whether they can, there is a way out of this mess. The big first deadline marching up to them is in the summer, you cannot enter the Premier League without signing a document saying that you have a realistic expectation of completing the season. And the same with the Champions League. You've got to give that out. There's nothing at the moment that's stable enough about Chelsea that anyone could sign off and say, yeah, we'll still be able to play next May. And that's the big problem they've got, is that Chelsea can't start a Premier League season unless they're confident they can finish it. Uh, And getting to Chelsea to a point where whatever Chelsea it is, whether it's a shell of a club, whether it's an offset, whatever, whether the golden share is allowed to be transferred, whatever it is, getting them to a state in the summer where they can start a season is going to take a lot of work, a lot of bending of of rules that haven't really been tested. Um, uh, and the government have got a part to play. Like, like Andy says, they're not going to want to pay the wage bill. Chelsea have been run at a loss for, for decades, which is why Abramovich has put 1.5 billion in loans into the club. You know, the government's not going to start doing that. Um, so, you know, realistically, you've got to look at a situation where Chelsea could cease to 
exist as they are at the moment um, by the summer. And that's just incredible. They're the, you know, the world champions. I mean, it, it's an absolutely one of the biggest announcements in football, uh, you know, in recent memory. It, it's it's what, what's going to happen now. And, you know, let's think, it seems I mean, we're a football podcast. So let's talk about football briefly. You know, how are the players going to deal with that for the rest of the season? You know, regardless of the the level playing field and everything else on the way, for you know, there's a, a bunch of players now who have no idea what their future holds, and uh, you know, it, yeah, it's an absolute game changer that that will have repercussions for the probably yeah, it, it's like what happened to Rangers times a thousand. You know, it, it's huge, and you know, we'll be feeling the repercussions for years. I think. Simon, did you think the government would? Um actually have the have the courage to do something like this because you know we all thought well you know he's trying to sell it dead quick and you know there was a fire sale on and we, we just presumed he would probably strike a deal with someone before you know the government would lift a finger and actually take decisive action i'm quite shocked that they've actually decided to to do this because it's a it's a huge huge thing well i, I spoke to <clears throat> excuse me i spoke to somebody in football finance uh, last week and he, um, his opinion was that um, Abramovich's kind of um, reason for putting Chelsea up for sale was just to buy himself some time. That he felt that if the um, that if the government knew that he was he was trying to sell the club, then they he would get extra time to 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 do that process. But clearly, that extra time would have given him um, breathing space to make other transactions that. That meant any sanction was, you know, was was weakened. Um, any government sanction was weakened. Clearly, that's that's not been the case. Um, I think he knew that sanctions were eventually going to come his way. Um, so I don't think it will uh, will have come as a bigger shock to him as it's come to the rest of us. But it just le- leaves a game in in limbo now, doesn't it? The Premier League, the Champions League. You know, you, you won't be able to buy a pie and a pint when you go to the game. You won't be able to buy a car park ticket. You won't be able to buy a programme. <clears throat> you know, away fans won't be able to buy tickets. Chelsea are going to have to play their Champions League games in front of an empty Stamford Bridge because they're not, you know, see, as far as I know, tick- tickets for Champions League games and FA Cup games and such like aren't included in the, you yeah. know, in the price of a season ticket. Yeah. What if they get to the Champions League final again? How do they sell tickets for the Champions League final? So it's opened up so many issues that you know what what an, an absolute headache not just for the club but for for football administra- football administrators in general just um you know just it, it just it's been a mad couple of years hasn't it and, and when you think things can't get even worse or even crazier something like this happens yeah andy chelsea chelsea play norwich tonight i mean if you're a player in that dressing room tonight at carrow road what what do you What's going through your head? It must be impossible to focus on a game when you've just heard this news. Well, yes, and imagine you know, and the manager will have to field the questions. Any knocks, Thomas? You know, it's like it'll be, it'll just be. I mean, yeah, it, it will be very hard for him because don't forget, you know, they they, they will want guarantee. They will be thinking, all oh, the guarantees of my contract is going to be paid up. Yeah, um, and, and there are no guarantees. You know, when you're freezing in a in, in a in what is a war situation, when you're freezing assets, you know, you're not giving top of your priority isn't to make sure that footballers' wages are being paid. So, yeah, it's bound to affect the players. And then there's the long-term ramifications of 
of you know of, of, of again what will happen in terms of the contractual situation. Um, and then I don't know. I, I said I just cut off there there for a minute, so I've missed what 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 was being said. But the more you think about it, the more it's just you know such a. I mean, from what we're led to believe, the sanctions will be reviewed in May. Now, whether yeah. that gives it scope for them to try and to come to some sort of agreement to sell the club, um, I'm not sure. But I don't see how you can just have, you know, you can be a little bit sanctioned. You're either sanctioned or you're not. So, you know, I can't see them being in any mood at all to do any deals with Roman Abramovich. Um, maybe if the sale was, let's say, not going to a charitable foundation set up by Rowan Bright himself, and maybe the net proceeds were not going to it. Maybe if we just said, okay, you're selling it in a whole lot, we take care of it and it goes to charity, you know, that might be an option. I'm really not sure. But as I'm sure, uh, you know, as Matt alluded to, you know, the whole idea of you being able to fulfil your commitments both at home and in Europe. Of course, if, for example... Um, you know the, the governments have to stop Chelsea for, for starters going into administration. You know, I mean, I mean that 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 is that's what they have to do. Otherwise, it's a nine point deduction. So you know those sorts of things, and and all these things, you know, will be things that the, the the players are thinking about. But but Andy, you can't go into administration because there's nothing to administrate. Yeah, that's what Frozen means. It would be going bust. Is the it would be going you know, bust? If, yes. if, if the government aren't stepping in to pay the wages. Nobody can. So that, that's yeah. it. Either the government pays or they go bust. I mean, what will be interesting will be will be the EU stance now, now, now that the UK have sanctioned um, Roman Abramovich, and UEFA's stance in terms of, of, of their participation in the, in the Champions League. It's... It, it's and what about the yeah, Premier League as well? Those, it will take hours, days, you know, weeks... For people to understand, and, for, and by the way, you know we've been talking about um, about and sort of in a in a not in a whimsical way, but you know who's going to pay Romelu Lukaku's four hundred grand a week. But let's not forget this has a big impact on the hundreds and hundreds of staff at Stamford yeah. Bridge. You've been there for years and years. I mean, you know, and we know a lot of them. You know, and yeah. we we've dealt with these people, people who were there long before Roman Abramovich. Um, I was going to use a, a phrase, then, but I won't do that. Um, a David Dean phrase, but not appropriate to use that now. But but long before Roman Barnes rolled in, that those staff were there, you know, and 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 it's and it's those people, you know, those people who aren't on four hundred grand a week who've been the the sort of the fabric of that club in the community for decades and decades and decades. That's who 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 we really should be feeling sorry for. We shouldn't be thinking, yeah. oh, what's you know what's Kai Havertz going to be worried about before he heads out against Norwich tonight? We should be thinking what you know what. what what the people that we know behind the scenes are thinking, those who are just there in an honest, decent ways every day. So part of these sanctions mean that, um, suggesting there that Chelsea can pay reasonable costs of travel to and from fixtures, yes. but not exceeding 20,000 per game. That's obviously... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> someone, put, someone put this in, so they can't go on the West Coast train to, to Manchester then, economy. <laughs> <laughs> They've only got twenty grand for a better game. Anyway, carry on. Well, obviously they play. Are they playing away next week in the Champions League? Lille, Lille. So that's a, that's you know, a train drive. <laughs> will twenty thousand quid? We'll be all on the ferry cover the cost of going to Lille. That's. I mean, you know, it, well, the players can drive themselves there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
They've all got big enough cars. They probably won't be afford. They'll be able to afford Simon, if you were a player at Chelsea, would you be ringing your agent today and saying, "Yeah, I think, you know, I think the, 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 where, the where does this leave me?" That would have been the first thing anything. every player would have done before they, uh, you know, they they started preparing for tonight's game. What first of all, what, what does this mean to my contract? Whether you're out of contract at the end of the season or you've got a four year deal. Does this in any way alter my contract and does this give me scope to, you know, um, do whatever, you know, even leave the club? So, uh, you know, I think Andy's absolutely right. Players, you know, players are kind of well um, insured against this because they've been earning thousands and thousands of pounds per week for, for many years. It's the it's the employees of the club who keep Chelsea going on a day-to-day basis that we should be uh, should be more concerned about. Um, but like I say, it's just come as, as, as such a shock because this kind of thing has never never happened before. Uh, you know, and once again, a, a football club is having to come to terms with the situation, as with the pandemic. There are no kind of written rules or regulations yeah. or written formulas that enable you to, to get through this. So, yeah. you know, I'm sure there'll be, uh, Chelsea will be in talks with, with the government and, uh, or Chelsea's lawyers and accountants will be in, in talks with the government to see what kind of leeway they've got and how they can keep the club going. Yeah, ma'am, I'm, hit, I'm hit, sorry, go on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's again, we're, it's open blank page thinking again. It strikes me the only person who can um, end this uncertainty um, and any sort of speed and, and ease, um, surely has got to be Abramovich himself. Can he not walk away from his asset? There's one thing freezing an asset. If the government were to seize the asset, they could then dispense of it, mm. sell it to somebody else. But the only way they do that, I presume, is if Abramovich says, okay, I'll be as good as the uh, the um, the moral backbone of my statement and just walk away from the club. Forget to foundations of, you know, charity foundations. You know, there you go, British government. Look after Chelsea treat it as uh, as I have tried to presumably that way um things can move forward again but that relies on Abramovich literally w- walking away uh, 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 and having uh, and, and and writing off any sort of legal claim that he has to the assets that have been frozen yeah, but that, I mean, to move forward uh, <clears throat> and if he's as big a Chelsea fan as he says he is and if he's done it all for Chelsea mm. like he said he did in his statement uh, which was carefully worded, like we've said before, to buy him some time. If the actual full meaning of that statement was anything like true, then that's presumably what he's got to do now. Yeah, but Matt, I mean, with respect, that I mean, that's a, that's a little bit pie in the sky, isn't it? You, you know, if the guy doesn't, if, don't forget, all along, we're led to believe that he's protested his innocence and all this, and he and he's protested that he has no close links with with with, with Vladimir Putin. And, and if he believes that's the case. He's not just going to say, "Okay, well, actually, you know what? I, I think you're wrong." But here's, you know, a, a three billion quid asset. He's just not going to do that. I mean, it just, but he was giving all. Re- I mean, it's nothing financially that's going to cost him, according to his statement, because he was going to give all the proceeds proceeds to a charitable foundation, you know, for casualties of war. He also said he'd written off his one point five billion debts. He put in there a little phrase oh. that said net proceeds rather than all the money. A little so proceeds. Yeah. I mean, I mean the net proceeds thing. The net proceeds is well. I'll have all the money back that I've. I've, I've well, he, he said separately he didn't want the, the, the he didn't want the loan back, but 
But that's what, so you think he you think he would have just taken the however how much was it? I can't remember four hundred million that he that he paid for it. That that's what one hundred forty million he paid for it. One hundred forty yeah. million. That, that's what he, um, two billion. Do you think he would have given one point eight billion to? Hey, Andy, I, I don't know, but that's what his statement was trying to make us believe back a week Simon. ago. And what I'm saying is that's the only way out for Chelsea now. That's going to involve a lot less heartache uh, and, and difficulty than any of the other solutions. Simon, I'm led to believe that the Premier League were only given 15 minutes' notice of this news about the government seizing uh, Abramovich's assets. This is a, this I must be. I don't listen. You know, I, I'm not um, an apologist for this government by any means, but we shouldn't be surprised by by that because yeah. their lack of communication for the last two years to not just businesses but to the general public has been shambolic. But what I will say is they've probably got more important things to worry about in terms of the conflict that's going on in Ukraine to think, you know, should we have warned the Premier League? Should they have warned them? Of course they should, but I think they've got bigger issues on the horizon. What I was going to say was that this will have hit Richard Masters like a truck. And, yeah, you know, someone someone who's just spent two years trying to navigate around the pandemic, and this this arguably is a bigger, a more complex issue to deal with, even than what we had to do with the COVID. Listen, the, 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 you know, the announcement, will have come as a surprise, but the actual policy shouldn't have. They should have realised that this was coming at some stage, whether it was it was last week, this week or the week after. So there, there should have been some kind of negotiation in place, again, with lawyers, etc., to see, you know, what the way forward for Chelsea Football yeah. Club would be once Abramovich was, was sanctioned. I mean, you know, we've, we've spoken about the players, um, but what happens to Thomas Tuchel now? You know, this is a manager who, who won, won the European Cup last season, has won the Club World Cup this season, um, you know, has done a, a great job in kind of um, turning Chelsea around. Uh, what happens to him? Because, you know, he will be a manager very much in, in demand should he come on the market. Um, you know, it's not just the players who will be examining their future at the football club it'll be it'll be Thomas Tuchel as well yeah Mark Chelsea have had a lot of success down the years this feels like a a watershed moment in terms of you know we may never see them in the same form again will there be any sympathy for Chelsea from outside of Chelsea, very yeah. little, I think. I mean, it was a watershed moment when Abramovich walked through the door in 2003, wasn't it? Yeah, they hadn't won the title since 1955. Um, you know, the, a few cup, you know, saw runs and that was about it. Um, so, yeah, uh, will there be sympathy? Yeah, I think a little bit. No, it's the wrong way for a club to suffer just because of the, the the hands of one individual. But to be fair, that means all their success has become, hasn't it, become tarnished a little bit? By the fact that we've we, we've got it in black and white, he's number two on a list of two hundred and four individuals being sanctioned today. Um, his rap sheet's twice the length of anybody else's on that list. You know, he's been a a close he's had a close relationship for decades, which is the entire period of his Chelsea tenure with Vladimir Putin. Uh, and ultimately, he's um his steel company in Russia is providing is uh, is what he's using to build the tanks that are as we speak now bombarding civilians in. Ukraine. 
you know, you sort of don't have a lot of sympathy, can you, for for a club whose success has been built on the billions that he's, he's seen fit to shepherd in their direction. Uh, yeah, I don't think outside there is a lot of sympathy to be had. It is what it is. The Chelsea fans, I think, I feel sorry for the Chelsea fans who never really bought into the Abramovich era. And we said before the long-standing you know, staff, there's long-standing fans uh, who are now going to face possibly the club dropping off a precipice uh, for something that they never really went along with anyway. But uh, but yeah, no, sympathy is very hard to find in football. And I don't think this is an occasion that, that people will be feeling particularly sorry for Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are, there are um, you know, the government has given... Um, a detailed um, explanation of why Abramovich is on the sanctions list. And amongst it, it does say the allegation that he obtained financial or other material benefit from Vladimir Putin um, and the Russian government. So, you know, if, if that's where you think, you know, um, that's facilitated some of the money that's gone into Chelsea, then it is hard to feel sympathy. Just quickly going back to the uh, Premier League not being given much notice. Again, I, I agree with Simon um, in the sense that you know, as passes go, this one was telegraphed more than most, wasn't it? You, you know what I mean? It was, it was, we could see this coming a long way down the line. Plus, the government would not tell anyone, obviously, because if you tell anyone and the news gets out, then it just gives someone time to move his, to, to move his yacht out, to, to, to take his yacht down to the British Virgin Islands, like all the oligarchs appear to be doing, um, or, or the Maldives or whatever it is, or basically just to try and get rid of the, the football club overnight, which, of course, when he tried to, first of all, do the, the ruse about him handing it over to the, you know, um, the trustees the to run it. They saw through that. And then very quickly, sort of, you know, so, so listen, Abramovich could see it coming. We could all see it coming. So it shouldn't have been any shock to the Premier League. But in terms of feeling sorry for, you know, you go back to to, to, um, um, to what, we, what we've said at length about um, about the, the staff there who will be affected more. Again, going back to the players, I think three or four of them are out of contract this summer, so they can just they can just off you pop and get a new job somewhere. And they'll all get new jobs somewhere, won't they? And they'll all get jobs that are probably equally as well remunerated, which obviously other people won't get. I've got to say, by the way, I, I do, I, I do sympathise with the fans. Yes. You know, from my perspective, I believe that a football club is its fans. Um, You know, you might have owners, but the the real kind of guardians of any football club are the supporters. And um, Mm. listen, you know, Chelsea's, certainly their travelling supporters made their feelings um, known about Roman Abramovich at Burnley last week. Uh, a game that I was at, and you know they were chanting his name um, during the minutes applause for the um, you know the people of Ukraine. It, it wasn't as I put in my match report at the time. It wasn't to do. It wasn't the time to do that. You, you know, even if they feel a loyalty and a bond towards Abramovich, that that wasn't the time to show it. But I do. I have got sympathy with with Chelsea supporters because oh, so sorry, know, they've sorry. invested so much in yeah. in following their team. I would imagine the vast majority of them before Roman Roman Abramovich walked into Stamford Bridge. So I think we've got to to feel some kind of sympathy towards towards the fans. And also, I was mm. trying to sort of grasp the wider reaching impact of what this all means. Chris Wood, all the listeners, just put a message on the on the chat saying, "What about the surrounding community?" I mean, obviously, Chelsea, clubs like Chelsea do a heck of a lot of good work for charities, you know, fundraising. That's all going to be badly affected too. 
Yeah, but and there is already. I mean, I mean, this is such a a fast moving story that there are already unnoticed suggestions that that actually, if Abramovich allows, and and essentially, it's pretty much what 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 Dunny was saying that if Abramovich allows the UK government to take charge of the sale process, then it, then it, then it might still be able to go forward. So, in other words, by taking charge of the sale process. Um, I, I, I guess it they mean if a branch says UK government's okay, there you go, get rid of it, and 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 do what you want with the money. So I mean, maybe maybe that would be a way. Else. I can't see a person. I certainly can't see a branch doing that. I, I certainly think you know it would be um, it would be an admission of, of, of a mere culprit on his part that he wouldn't be prepared to give. But this is this is clearly you know going to be going to be ongoing by the hour. Yeah. Guys, we'll move on, but um, there is a seamless link which Andy kindly came up with before we came on air. And we've mentioned it already. Tuchel, the future of Tuchel um, will now be under serious uh, doubt. One club needing a manager uh, more than ever, a new manager, is Manchester United, especially in the wake of last Sunday's um, absolute hammering by Man City at the Etihad. Andy, you wrote earlier in the week that why, why, you know, why is the club like United not looking at somebody like Tuchel, even though he's employed by Chelsea? I mean, it's a fair point, and also one that's even more valid now, given the fact that Tuchel could be open to leaving Chelsea, given what's happened. Well, yeah, more than open to leaving. I would have thought, but that's why that, that that's why I sort of put out there. It just occurred to me why I put out there this week, basically with the line in very high up. The, 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 the you know you never know. Um, Chelsea Football Club could be in the hands of the government effectively uh, before the end of the weekend. What would Tuchel do then? And and that that that's come to pass. It, it it always struck me as soon as this, as soon as these events occurred, and as soon as you know Bramwich put the club on the market, and as soon as we we sort of saw sanctions coming down the line. I mean, the whole uncertainty around the club, you, you know, I mean, was overwhelming. And it did strike me then that well, well actually, you know what. Tuchel might be, you know, who's going to be available? First of all, you're going through who's going to be available. So you're thinking, well, you know, okay, but who could United go for? Ten Hag, and you're thinking Pochettino, and we'll probably come on to that shortly. And you think what they need is someone, you know, how many times have we spoken about United needing, you know, they've had Solskjaer, they've had Ralph Rangnick, Rangnick, who Rangnick, who people, you know, who players had to Google. You know, it, it's, we, we, we've spoken a lot about what Manchester United need is a manager who can go toe-to-toe with Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, the two outstanding coaches in the, in the Premier League, you know, if not in Europe. So you, who can go toe-to-toe with them? Who, who can look them in the eye? Who, who, who is not scared of them? Okay, he's had the resources to do it, but Thomas Tuchel is, is that guy. Thomas Tuchel is the man who outwitted Pep Guardiola in a Champions League final. Tuchel won the Champions League in his first season at Chelsea. You know, he, he, and so I thought, well, actually, he's the guy. They could do with him, but there's no chance of getting him, is there? Well, hang on a minute. <laughs> there might be a chance of getting him because Chelsea is shrouded in uncertainty and even more so today. Now, I got, you know, fair enough, as predictably online, you know, I got, I got pelters for it basically, but, um, you know, people say, well, I want this, you know, I want that, and I want so and so for Christmas. But, you know, hey, listen, it's a minor ramification. Of, of the seriousness of this situation. 
but it is one. And and I just think if you're a managing director of, of Manchester United, if you're the board of Manchester United, if you're not at least, at least testing the water and finding out, as you can do discreetly, whether or not Thomas Tuchel will be interested in the Manchester United job, then I don't think you're doing your job. Because Thomas Tuchel, out of all the candidates, and listen, I, I can't see a better candidate for the Manchester United job than Thomas Tuchel. Let's say he wasn't in employment at the moment. Would you take him? Of course you would. Simon, if 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 Tuchel was approached, if you were Thomas Tuchel and Manchester United approached you and said, do you want to come and manage us next season, would you take the job? Well, I think you'd have some very serious conversations with the club, first of all. Um, you know, Chelsea are in a, as we've just discussed, Chelsea are in a bit of a mess, but would you want to jump from that mess to another mess? Um, because that's what United are at the moment. I think if um, if that was to happen, and any manager that United talk to at the moment are in the box seat in terms of negotiations, in terms mm-hmm. of how much power will I get, you know, how much freedom will I get to shape the squad in terms of how I want it. <coughs> um, you know, that's how desperate United have become. Um, they need a top class manager to drag the club out of the mess they're in. And um, I feel sorry for Ranjek in some respects because he was never going to be able to rescue the season from the point that he, he took United over from. Um, but, you know, football, it's such a cool game and you can be absolutely sure that every football chairman, uh, director of football, chief executive would have heard the news this morning and the first thing they would have done is see if there's anything that they could pick the bo- you know pick from the bones of, of Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, you know, Andreas Christensen has, has already agreed a deal to join Barcelona before this news came out. You know, Rudiger is yeah. available in the summer. What a, what a signing he is going to be for somebody, what you know, a top-class defender. And, you know, Thomas Tuchel will come into that conversation as well, I'm sure, for clubs that need managers. And, and Manchester United are still the biggest club in the world. And if they come calling, you've got to if be a very big manager. I do, I do. In terms of stature, I think they're still the biggest. They're nowhere near the best. You know, they, they've probably got the third best team in Manchester at the moment. Um, but they need, they need, sorry about that. They need a manager that can, that can build, but they also need a manager who can, who can have an instant impact. And Tuchel showed that at Chelsea last season, that he can organise teams. And that is, that is exactly what United lack at the moment, organisation. Got some really top individual players, but in terms of a team pattern and a team style of play, non-existent my, I, I was at the game uh, last weekend and I thought it was one of the most emphatic sort of examples of the gap that now exists between the elite teams like City and, and those trying to you know catch them up in United Gary Neville and um, Roy Keane were really scathing afterwards they were basically accusing United of downing tools towards the end uh, the stats are quite damning um, that and nice percent, wasn't it yeah the throw, they were accused of throwing in the towel, which is unforgivable, really, at any level of football, let alone the elite level. Yeah, I mean, something's clearly not right there. It doesn't take a genius to work that out. It's not been right since probably before Fergie left. Um, you know, but but nobody's really been able to rebuild what, what Ferguson did, you know, ever since. And that's still the pressure under whoever goes in. Uh, and as, as the last was saying, I, yeah, 
I think, um, in certainly in the current circumstances, Tuchel would be a mug not to find out what if United were interested. And United, by similarly, would be um, not doing their duties. Arnold wouldn't be doing his duties if he didn't at least sound out the possibility of, of you know what looks like a, a tap in. For given Chelsea's current predicament, um, in, in getting to because as Andy says, he's one of the top three managers in the world at the moment. But uh, but yeah, and, and there's a spirit that, that the players aren't haven't become bad players overnight. They've they've just lost focus, they've lost belief, um, and they need just need reinvigorating uh, to a degree. Um, and and that's why this appointment's so crucial, and why they've wasted another season in this ill structured. Ranyak era that was never going to work. You need someone who's going to go in with some energy. Pep brought energy to Manchester City. Jurgen Klopp got Liverpool bouncing. Uh, and Manchester United needs someone. Tuchel's a weirder character. Uh, he can be abrasive, but he's also lively. The same way as Conte's been lively at Spurs. You need someone to breathe some life into Old Trafford because mm-hmm. it, it just feels dead at the moment. And that's what something that United should never be, not with that great big so-called theatre of dreams and all the rest of it. It should be vibrant and, and it's not. And it's sort of dwelling in its, you know, overblown past. And uh, and people are just shadows of the former players they were and shadows of the Gary Nevilles and the Roy Keynes that used to roar up and down those those touchlines and getting stuck into those challenges. And it- Sorry, it it needs an absolute rocket up that squad. It really does because I'll tell you what, you know, obviously I I was at the game as well uh, alongside the Jazz there and and you can see those quotes coming in from Neville and from Keane about the players giving up. I actually don't think they, I don't particularly think they gave up. You know what? I just think they were spent. I think they were gone. I've I've long held this theory ever since through the Solskjaer days, the Rangnick days, is is that these players... And simply not fit enough. I mean, they are simply not fit enough. They were absolutely, you know, City played it perfectly. How many times in that first half did City pass back to Edison? You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I haven't looked at the stats, you know, and all these these touches thing and, and, and whatever. But I'll bet you, I'll bet Edison had as many touches as anyone else in that first half of that game. And City could see, you know, United took them by surprise a little bit by pressing high with, with, with you know, I mean, four players pressing really. Pogba. Uh, Fernandez, Sancho, and and Alanga were, were essentially pressing up, but you could see that word sort of went out to City, probably from Pep fairly early on. That you know what, these will run themselves into the ground. They they, they can't keep up this this idea. They can't keep up. And City played it perfectly. They were patient. They knocked it round. They were content to knock to knock the ball sideways. Which you know, some of the time City, you know that that, that that's a bit against Pep's um, sort of whole modus operandi normally, but they adapted. United ran themselves out, and I'm looking around that pitch, and you know that's that's often the advantage of actually being at a game, isn't it? I look around the pitch, and, and I notice the same when they played Manchester City Old Trafford. I noticed the same when Liverpool went to Old Trafford. I looked around, and they were blowing. They were blowing after 55 minutes, and and City just walked all over them because physically they could not even get near them by that stage. They were spent. They were utterly spent. Bruno Fernandez spent. I mean, like you know, there was no chance of him closing anyone down late on. Listen, it's it's inexcusable that Rashford and Lingard came on, who obviously were fresh and didn't appear to put in the uh, the most arduous of shifts. But I looked around, and again, this is a very basic thing that a whole host of other problems, you know, personal form falling off a cliff, as I asked for for uh, Wan-Bissaka, for example, as I asked for Harry Maguire. 
good time. And that, that, that Sunday morning, I wrote a column in defence of Harry Maguire, then watched the whole game like this going, oh, my God. Secrets of comedy is all in the timing, obviously. But but on a basic level, and, 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 and if they aren't, and the stats will show this, by the way, I'm sure, and I think they have. Again, I've not gotten to hand. But if they are literally physically not up, not the level that Manchester City, I mean, Bernardo Silva would still be running now. If they're, if they're not physically up to the level that Manchester City and Liverpool are, then the book has to stop with the manager. You know, and and actually to say to these players, listen, you may be, as Simon said, quite rightly says, at the biggest club in the world. You may have a zillion, you know, uh, followers on social media. But listen, get your backside in gear and get as fit as these guys, because otherwise Liverpool and Manchester City will continue to basically take the mickey. You know what? I, I disagree with Andy there. I, I thought United did give up. Um, okay. I, I was I was in with the fans. I was I was I wasn't in the press box on Sunday. I was in, in with the supporters and um, <laughs> there was plenty in the press box, Bob. <laughs> sorry, yeah, I bet there were. I bet there was. Yeah, but um, you know, at, at half time, um, everybody was kind of saying, "Oh, there's a, there's a proper derby on here." You know, United had, had, had pressed, and then mm. City. I think I think City haven't really been given the credit. That they deserve for that second half performance, they absolutely demoralised United. And instead of taking two or three touches, clearly Pepper said to them at half time, it's got to be one and two touches. And United, they absolutely demoralised United. And I thought they did give up. And it was it was really strange because United's away support is is fantastic. You know, you can laugh and joke about you know the the prom. The, 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 the prawn sandwich brigade at Old Trafford but when you go and watch Manchester United in an away game their away support is relentless and I think very very early on in that second half even they recognised that that team was not fighting for, for the badge uh, and you, you saw that I've never seen an away end empty like that for, for, for a Manchester derby um, you know a United away end they, they, they were leaving Sort of, you know, 10, 15 minutes before the end of the game, because they they recognised the team that wasn't putting in the hard yards for the club. I I thought they did give up, and I thought part of that was because they would they would they were demoralised by the way yeah. they played in that second half. But you know, I I just thought it was it was poor. It was it was. Sorry, really can poor. I just ask you after the game, um, Randy <laughs> faced some slightly awkward questions about where was Ronaldo. Um, <laughs> Where was Cavani? So basically, for those who don't know, Ronaldo went back to Portugal. He had a bit of a hip piece, had a bit of a hip problem, according to his people in United. <laughs> there were stories during the room rounds that he'd actually... He's got a bad side. He'd not been picked for the game and he had the right hump on and he decided to jump on his private jet and go home for the weekend, basically. Well, like- and with Cavani... You know, Rani did admit after the game that he trained for three, four days prior to the derby, but said he wasn't available, didn't make himself available. It feels like we're getting to a cult. There's a growing culture at United where players are almost picking and choosing when they play and and, and not being, you know, not they're not playing when they're told to play. I mean, Cavani's he's not played for a month. In that in that time, he's been back to South America. He's played for Uruguay. He's earning in excess of two hundred thousand pound a week. Is this all adding to the melting pot that is United? It feels like it's just all caving in around, basically. And it's just I mean, a, how many the times cultures have been bred. How, how, how many times has Cavani actually been given permission to go back to South America? Yeah. Um, and then turned up late. 
you know, got yeah. got back late when everybody else has, has reported back for training and he's got back late. I mean, you know, incredible. You're talking about Manchester United. Ronaldo should have played it's injured. Be going back back no, to Portugal. Should be getting on a plane. He should be staying here for treatment. Surely should he, be, he should be getting treated at the club. United have got you know big games coming up. They've got Tottenham this weekend, which is going to be huge yeah. towards their chances of the top four. They've got Atletico, Atletico yeah. next week. Cristiano Ronaldo shouldn't be going back to um, Portugal. He should be in Manchester, being treated for any injury or not that he's got, and preparing himself. Um, you know, and and. It's unbelievable that, that players have got the freedom to decide whether they go back to, you know, whether they stay in Manchester or not. It, it wouldn't happen at the Etihad. It wouldn't happen at Anfield. Yet United's players seem to just have this freedom to do whatever they want when they want to do it. And, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, di- discipline or indiscipline. And, and that's the first thing that, that the next manager has got to address that, you know, he's the guy in charge. And that's why I said earlier, any manager going into United this summer mm. is in the box seat in terms of negotiations, in terms of being able to say that the, either the players do what I tell them to do or they're not part mm. of my first team squad. Awesome. And that's got to be made clear whether the, you know, whether the the megastore at Old Trafford sells 50,000 of their, of their shirts or not. And um I think we we are we've found this season with Ronaldo that the uh, commercial benefit of signing him um, took precedence over whether he was actually good for the team. Yeah, um, and I think the wrong decision was made. Matt, I, I mean, the guys say right and quite rightly that the United still regards the biggest club in the world in terms of commercial revenue and fan base and all that. Are they still an attractive proposition to somebody like a Pochettino or a Tuchel or a Ten Hag? Yeah, because they're still filling those Fergie shoes again. And if you do well at United, that's going to be remembered for a long, long time. It's one of those jobs that, because it's such a hard job now, that if you do go there and succeed, and all these people have immense self-belief, if you were to go there and you know match even a little bit of what Fergie did, that's the same breath. Yeah, you'll be mentioning the same breath as him, which is kind of the ultimate accolade. The other thing is, it's a, it's an era building job as well. On the continent, so many managers do two, three years uh, and have some success, and then the next one comes in has a bit less, a bit more success, and it goes round and round in circles. Whereas still in the Premier League. If you can have sustained success, like Guardiola's doing here, um, like uh, City, like Klopp's done, um, then you know you can build a reputation for yourself uh, and sort of legendary status. It's so hard to be a legend on the continent that, that these, you know, it, to massage the egos of these guys, they know if they went to United and did a good job, you know, they'd be part mm. of the club folklore forever. Yeah, Andy. Just before I move on to something else. Um, I just want to ask you about Kevin De Bruyne. We're all purring at him. We were all sort of drooling at his performance last weekend. He was he looked back to his best. You know, when he when he's like that, he's pretty much the best player in the world, definitely the best midfielder in the world. A couple of rights of a player. If he if he can maintain that form between now and the end of the season, that's going to be a huge asset for City, isn't it? Because he's 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 been injured, you know, and he's he's not been at his best in uh, the start of the season, but it really looks like he's coming into his own again now. That 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 could be the difference between winning and losing, couldn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I mean, he was just sensational. But don't forget, you know, he had injuries and and also like you know, he probably played international football 
when he certainly shouldn't have done. And, and that's just a measure of the guy and his commitment to, to Belgium as, as, as well. Um, you know, and he's through that period now, touch wood, because, you know, we all like to see him play, whether you're a Man City fan or not. He was just sensational. Like, you, you know, I mean, absolutely sensational. But what I love about him that he's brought into his game is that he never had him down as a, a particularly quick player. So what he sort of brought into his game is this, is this unbelievable ability to, to basically slow down and basically dupe defenders into this idea that, that he's a bit slow and he slows down. And then he just has a burst of four or five yards where he's passed the player to the byline, pulls it back, you know, and, and and occasionally City will score from it. He was just fantastic. There's not much else to say about him. You, you know, and, and I think Pep has always said that, you know, he, he maybe should be scoring more goals. He's probably... I mean, we haven't got many finishes, have they, in terms of, as as in that's their sole job. He's probably, I think, one of the best finishers at the club. I mean, I, I, I would suggest, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot. But it's just a measure of how good City were in that second half, in that whole game, really, because I do think there was an element of them just not toying with United, but playing a patient game in that first half with the bonus of a couple of goals. But it says what it says about that City performance is, is that throughout that whole game, if you were given a man of the match, you would think, well, hang on, there's, there's so many. Who who was sublime for City? Kevin De Bruyne, undoubtedly. But Bernardo Silva was just sensational. You know, if, if I'm thinking football of the year now, right now, I'm thinking him. But then for the first 20, 25, 30 minutes of that game, Phil Foden, I mean, was just, I mean, off the scale. So that's what Pep's got at his disposal. His, his disposal. Listen, myself and you were both... Um, um, at the right place last night, the the thrill that was City nil, Sport and Lisbon nil. Good job, nothing happened in Madrid. But um, um, and, and we and we saw a guy, we we, we saw a lad play um half an hour, um a half football, James McAtee. And I will tell you what, you know, th- this is the way they're being brought through the academy. You know, and they're looking at first teamers like Kevin De Bruyne, like David Silver in the past, like 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 Bernardo Silva, and Phil Foden. You know, Phil Foden is now like a, a sort of well, a role model for these younger players like McIntyre. Yeah. I looked and I looked at him and I thought, you know, he could have just been, you know, basically, you know, created by Pep. So, you know, yes, De Bruyne, fantastic, but you know, I could have made four or five. You know, for Morris for a second half performance, I could have made him man of the match. I literally could have made four or five in the man of the match. But your overarching point, yes, I mean, De Bruyne again. I mean, he's the best midfielder in the league. I mean, that's that's beyond question. Normally, we'd, we'd be um, discussing the merits of two big Champions League games in the in the week, but <laughs> I've been to two. How, I've, been to, I've, been to, I've been to both of them and seen Me one goal in 180 minutes. So, yeah. what I would like to talk about is obviously there was an amazing game in Madrid last night uh, when Pochettino's PSG managed to snatch defeat from the uh, jaws of victory. There, um, Simon Pochettino has been. Forever linked, it feels like it's been forever linked with coming to United, and it seems like you know he's desperate to come. United have made him their number one choice. How much damage do you think that did to his reputation last night? Um, certainly, huge damage at Paris Saint Germain. I can't see him um, being there next season after that. Um, I've got to say, I feel a little bit sorry for Pochettino in terms of he's not managing his team, he's basically been given a group of players. Um, great players, you know, great individual players. Um, 
and 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 told to coach them. I, I don't think we've we've seen a, a Maurizio Pochettino team. I don't think um, Paris Saint Germain even looked like a Maurizio Pochettino team. Certainly not in those first few years at Tottenham when he when he got Spurs to the Champions League final. I thought they were fantastic that year. I just like I say, I, I think he's he's managed at Paris Saint Germain with one eye one one arm tied behind his back. So. Uh, but having said that, of course, it's damaged his reputation. He, you know, Paris Saint-Germain with that squad should be getting uh, beyond the last 16. They should be beating Real Madrid. It's not the the the, the Real Madrid of old. You know, Real Madrid are a, are a club in 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 need of a massive rebuild. You know, their their two best players last night were were Modric and Benzema, who you know I think what Modric is 36, ben, Benzema 34. No, that they I saw Madrid. I've seen Madrid a few times over the last couple of years, and they're they're nowhere near the force that they used to be. But so again, we're talking about you know the kind of mental fortitude that Paris Saint Germain have got or haven't got, because um, as soon as that as soon as that um, second goal went in last night, you knew that Madrid were going to get a winner. You didn't expect it to come twelve seconds later. But you just knew you could just see from the body language they were gone. They were absolutely gone. Um, so, as it dam- going back to your question, has it damaged his reputation? Yeah. Will it put Manchester United off? I'm not so sure it will. Matt, do you do you think Poch will survive? I mean, he he, he said after the game, didn't he? We've got a difficult few weeks ahead. They probably included himself in that. They don't suffer fools over there, do they? PSG. Uh, I think he was thinking ninety-eight percent of himself for the difficult few weeks. Yeah, yeah I mean, his 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 performance there is going to be picked over, poured over, and ultimately, it's one of those that you know they're they're judged during executioner. They want to be in the Champions League final. They want to win the Champions League. He hasn't done that. You know, whatever excuses he comes up with and whatever reasons, uh, you know, he's not got the, put it this way, PSG aren't on a team to hold on to a 2-0 lead. Uh, you know, they're a team to go go on ahead. And, you know, you're not going to suddenly say to Messi, come on, lads, let's, let's dig in for the last half an hour. It's the wrong, wrong players to do that. And, yeah, like Simon Silver alluded to, he's coaching in an alien style to what he's, he's been handed to do with it. And they're all kind of reasons why it perhaps hasn't worked, but, but they won't be used as excuses because, you know, there will be no excuses for him. Um, I'm increasingly beginning, beginning to think that Pochettino's problem um, is that he's not a lucky manager. Um, I can't remember who it was. He said to me a long way back. He said, "I'd rather be a lucky manager than a good manager," because Napoleon, there's only so- was it? That was Napoleon, was it, Matt? Before he, before he um, tried to win the European Championship. No one when he took over was. Oh, he might have been quoting Napoleon. I beg you, my limited football knowledge. Um, but yeah, yeah, lucky general. Right, no, yeah, lucky general. Sorry, then a uh, yeah. But it comes down to that, and. Uh, Somebody obviously mentioned it to me in, uh, in a football context, and I think the same is true. There's only so many things you can manage, uh, and uh, and I just wonder if he's not one of those that's that's destined to win silverware for whatever reason. Um, but I, as Simon said, I don't think that would stop United. Whether or not this with this two call suggestion from Andy, and you should claim your ten percent if it happens. Um, <laughs> uh, it, you know that might trump it, but but I still think Pochettino remains high on the United list. I also heard Andy mention about 10 minutes ago that when in writing that Tuchel piece, did he mention that he, he predicted that the government were going to seize, seize Abramovich's assets? You should have put an exclusive on that, Andy. 
I, th- I don't think it was alone in, 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 in whatever. Some guy in there, Chris Bryant in the House of Commons has been up sort of like cheerleading that one for, for a long time. Andy, can we mention Everton? Sorry to bring it up, but um, oh. they were on the absolute wrong end of a hiding um, against Tottenham uh, 5-0. Um, they're obviously deep in trouble. What's your assessment of how how Lampard somehow finds an escape route there in terms of keeping him in the Premier League? Well, it's a home form, isn't it? You, you, you know, they're on a very limited sample of games. Their home form's been been decent. They've won, you know, including the cup games. They've won, um, okay, there's only one Premier League game, but two cup games and a pre- and two Premier League games. They've won three out of four. And, and obviously, we're, we're only beaten when they were um, robbed by a scandalous refereeing decision um, late in the Manchester City game. Um, so they've got, you know, li- listen... I'm only half joking on that one, by the way. But um, they they played quite well in that City game. You know, now they might have deserved something from it. So they've got, I think, it's eight home games left. Um, and that's what's that's what's going to save them. You know, I, I certainly do think. You know, we, we sometimes can sort of overestimate the influence of a home crowd, but I certainly think you know a performance like they put up um, for most of the Spurs game because they started quite well. For most of the Newcastle game in St James's Park, because they started quite well in that as well, um, would, wouldn't be tolerated um, at home to a certain extent. You know, the players would know about it. Um, so I think that's probably you know the way out. I do think that I do think there's enough there in the squad. You know, they should stay up. Um, they should have enough to get out of it. Um, they've got issues at the moment. Central defence. You know, Michael Keane is on on a on a horrendous run of form um, and and they need to, you know, they've got a couple of injuries there, obviously with Mina being injured. They need to somehow, Frank needs to somehow sort, sort that situation out. But, you know, he's got to be practical, hasn't he? You know, it, it sort of calls for a, it calls for a sort of dogs of war mentality and, and, you know, Lampard is probably far more idealistic than that and wants them to, you know, play some um, attractive football. Um but the, I mean, the bottom line, Jeremy, is that you know they're in a dogfight, you know, so so they so they will have to to fight very hard. But I do think they've got enough, and I do think at Goodison Park. I mean, ironically, is because you know long term they want to move away from that, but that's going to be complicated now for a variety of reasons. But I do think they'll have enough at Goodison Park to keep themselves um, in the Premier League. Can I just ask you about Jordan Pickford? I mean, obviously, he he is just about England's number one goalkeeper still, but he's having obviously. A- Horrendous season at Everton. What impact do you think it might have on Southgate's thinking in terms of moving into Russia? Uh, sorry, moving into Qatar and I, the World Cup in the I, I, I think for Jordan Pickford, read Harry Maguire. For Jordan Pickford and Harry Maguire, read Raheem Sterling six, seven, eight months ago. Um, for them, read Harry Kane when he's out of form. Now, I'm not saying Jordan Pickford's out of form because, you know, I, I wouldn't lay any particular blame at, at, at the um, at the hands of Jordan Pickford um, for Everton's problems at the moment. Yes, he's conceded a lot of goals. He's not making a, 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 you know absolute howlers all the time. But what I was trying to say by 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 doing a comparison with all those four players is that Southgate, even though he's not afraid to drop players, we've seen that he might well drop Marcus Rashford. But I mean, you know, he, he he's, he's dropped Trent Alexander Arnold from a squad. He's not. Afraid, he's dropped Jaden Sancho from a squad. He's not afraid to do that. But he has a core of players who are his lieutenants, who he trusts, the ones who he thinks did more than any 
to get him to the World Cup semi-finals in 2018. The ones he thought did more than any to get into the final of Euro 2020. And those players include Jordan Pickford. Those players are Raheem Sterling. Those players are Harry Kane. Harry Maguire is one of those, one of that, that group. And Jordan Pickford is one of that group. And it would take a major, major downturn in Jordan Pickford's form for him to be um to, to be to be left out by Gareth Southgate or to be demoted even in the pecking order by Gareth Southgate because he trusts him on the basis of what he's done for him over these last four or five years. Yeah. Simon, most of us heading to Old Trafford on um, Saturday tea time for what is arguably one of the biggest games of, of the weekend in United hosting Tottenham. There's a lot of sort of subplots to this story. Obviously, there's the race for the top four. There's Conte going to Old Trafford when, you know, he could have ended up being at Old Trafford as their manager, but United sort of turned down that chance, um, saying he was high maintenance, too high maintenance, too expensive. Um, it feels like there's a lot of sort of strands to this game on the pitch and off the pitch. Yeah, definitely. You know, and both teams, both teams need the points because both teams are in, in, in that fight for, for fourth place. Um, Conte will have. Conte is such a clever manager, such a a, a, a strategist. Um, you know, he went to the Etihad not so long ago, and you know, I, I thought there was a kind of portrayal of that game that Spurs were maybe a bit lucky, but they were set up perfectly to to win. It was it was a, it was a great tactical display from them. Um, and he will have noticed that. I think it was mentioned on TV. Um, that um, Hassan Hull mentioned when he went with Southampton that United don't like running towards their own goal. Um, so you know he, he will he will be set up in the knowledge that at some point there is a good chance that United will run out of steam in that game. And Conte is a patient manager. Um, you know he, he, he won't mind setting up the team uh, for seventy five minutes as long as they're in, you know for the last fifteen minutes they're in with a chance of winning. And I think that's what he'll. He'll probably do do at Old Trafford. Um, I think United probably need the points more than Spurs do because they're at home. Um, and as a response after that Manchester derby defeat last week, um, but yeah, it's 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 got it's an intriguing game. Um, and uh, I, I think Spurs will do a number on United on Saturday night. I do. It's hard to predict what Spurs which Spurs are going to turn up though, right? It is, but with the firepower that that they've got. Um, they are, and the problems that United have got defensively, they are going to get chances, and you would expect Kane or Son to take some of those chances. Um, can the same be said for United? I don't, I don't think it can. Um, I just think Spurs are a, a better, a better team at the moment, and I fancy them. Like I say, I fancy them to to win at Old Trafford. Matt, we touched on England. Southgate names his squad next a week today. Are you expecting any major shocks in that? Any either, you know, I don't know, maybe Jared Bowen, perhaps, or any any high-profile absentees. I think at this stage of the World Cup selection, it's the absentees that will be more striking because I think it's a little bit late for anyone completely new to make a run in to the squad. Uh, much as Jared Bowen's been playing particularly well, he's not short of that that sort of player anyway that as Andy alluded to he knows he trusts um and perhaps after the world cup will be the time when we see the new blood of uh, of talent coming through um i mean there's a few that uh 
Aaron Ramsdale, we talked about Pickford earlier. I think he's having a good season at Arsenal and we'll, we'll wonder whether or not he'll get the chance to show what he's about to be part, be on the plane, if not in the team. Um, uh, and and there are a couple of, I mean, his team's fairly fit. That's the thing with being regularly successful is there aren't that many changes in the first 11, but, uh, um, I think I've, you know Kane's number two is still up for grabs because Calvert Lewin hasn't been fit enough really and looked a little bit off it on Monday night. It has to be said in his hour that he got. Um, so that's very much up for grabs, and no one's really. I can't I'm trying to think of any contenders for that 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 would have a good shout. But uh, Tommy Abraham, Tommy Abraham, perhaps yeah. But again, he's he scored twenty goals in Italy this year. This season. Yeah, no, absolutely. And 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 it'll be interesting. I think he will be in the squad. And I think Southgate likes that determination to go abroad and and you know broaden your education. So I think he'll pay dividends for that. But he's got to really go there and, you know into the meetup and do something to show that he really is the real deal this time. Because you know he's he's running out of chances. Um but yeah, it's difficult because we're not awash with players. Oh, if Calvin Phillips is, isn't fit, we've got Declan Rice. You know, he's poorly at the minute, so he needs to be fit. Mm. That otherwise, some of these holes do become a little bit bare, don't yeah. they? And, and and I'll be honest, it'll be interesting to see who Southgate spotted because I don't think we're awash with talent. Like no. you know, going into a tournament, as, as sometimes we kid ourselves that we are. Yeah. Uh, the other players who are also playing back, it'd be interesting to see if um, Eric Dyer's done enough to get back into the squad. Uh, mm. With him playing regularly again, mm. um, uh, yeah, just a few names like that. That that uh, I think I think he's looking at positions twelve to twenty-two uh, more for for this November at the moment, and uh, and who he can trust if push comes to shove. Yeah, okay. I think Bo- I think Bowen will be injured, won't he? I think. Yeah, you know, I was, you know, I was wondering on England is whether you know we, 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 there is a dearth of of strikers, particularly with um, Calvert Lewin been injured for most of the season. Whether Southgate might even experiment with playing Foden um as a as a central yeah. striker. Um mm. because his development this season in that position mm. has been absolutely sensational. Now have England got play the, the players behind who can operate you know in that formation because it would be a, 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 a huge change to what to how Southgate normally lines up. But in terms of just an experiment, I I would be Intrigued yeah. to see how that might work, um, and the other one, I think the other big question as well is um, what's been lost over the last month or so has been Jaden Sancho's return to form. Yeah, um, you know he's 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 sort of steadily got better as the season's gone on, and I just wonder whether there's a that there is a, a, a place in there. Yeah, you know, for, him as, for him as well. Guys, is it, always, sorry, sorry, is it is it Sancho or Foden with Sterling and Kane? You think in his first choice three at the moment? Oh, oh no, Sancho's uh, um, Foden's. You playing deeper? Oh yeah, uh, certainly. Yeah. For him. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you've got Foden has got to play. He's got he's got to be first choice in that team now. He's been sensational this season, guys. Just before we wrap it up on my running order, we've got and finally in um, homage to Mo Salah hitting the post twice this week against <clears> Milan. Um, of all people, actually, because he's had a great season for Liverpool. We've got, we're asking you guys to recall the player most extremely unlucky never to have scored, not to score, so never to have scored, mm. it would be ruled out. There's clearly one obvious choice here. 
Okay. There, can anyone throw in a curveball? Well, there's no curveballs, but I know the obvious choice. So I'll let one of the guys do the obvious choice. What a grim day that was. Um, but obviously, I'm the. I'm assuming I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm the eldest around. This probably the eldest around this. Wow. Um, this group. And and as I remember vividly, 1980, Clive Allen. I mean. Oh, the stanchion goal. I mean, I mean, it's unthinkable, isn't it? Yeah, it's unthinkable. I remember watching it. You know what? I, I remember it. So I, I won't give away how old I was then in, in 1980, but I do remember watching it uh, vividly because it was on Match of the Day. And I think Match of the Day was on a Sunday. So I think you had to, you actually had to wait. You know, you got VAR looking at it in, in, in after two seconds, and now you had to wait 24 hours to see it on Match of the Day. And... <laughs> And if if listeners aren't or viewers aren't aware of it, 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 it was it was Clive Allen playing for um, Crystal Palace against Coventry City. It was quite early in the, in the season, and um, I think they went one 0 up um, Palace. I can't I can't remember who scored, but but I know Jerry Daly then scored twice for Coventry City, and then and then <laughs> Crystal Palace got a free kick, and Clive Allen basically smashes it into the top goal. <laughs> And it's the stanchion comes out, and they're all celebrating. The Coventry City players are regrouping until they realise that the referee hasn't given the goal. I know I can't for the life of me remember the referee's name, but I remember him consulting the linesman who then says, me, "Wasn't the referee Mike? Well, the referee would have been Mike Riley, wouldn't it? Now, now, <laughs> you apologise for it, mate. You've got to let that go, pal. You've got to let it go. Move on, apparently. <laughs> but I, I, he, he, the top, I mean, I'm not kidding you. Like, never mind the goals that we're probably going to refer to after this. I mean, this is the stanchion. I think, you know what? I think it was the end of stanchions. It may well have been the end of, of the stanchion because, like, you know, the, after that, there's nothing to knock it out. I suppose, why would you have one, really? I, I suppose the idea of the ball goes in the net. It's best if it stays there, really, just to be on the safe side. But even so, it was an absolute beauty if you guys remember it. And they, anyway, they lost the game 2-1. And Clive Allen left that season. I think he went to QPR that season. And basically, Palace had a whole... Um, I think they had three or four managers um, that yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> I think Dario Grady might, might have managed them in, in, in that only Wally was there. Yes, that's that's right. And anyway, anyway, they went down. They were they were relegated. Now I'm not saying it was that that, that ghost goal that uh, that got them relegated, but you know, I mean, you, you just imagine it now in the goal, goal line technology. But yes, that that that's now that's what you call unlucky. Actually, scoring. But I'm sure we've got another couple along those lines. Simon, what level of football are we talking at here? <laughs> Where oh, was your you tell us when he scored. Did you, did you, no, did you know no, Simon no, Watson no. scored a goal in the Cheshire Cup final down the road from here? <laughs> it was I, I once took a penalty. It was a, it was a, a penalty shootout in a in a playoff for a, the Altrincham Sunday League title, and I I took the first penalty in the shootout, and it hit both posts and came out. I remember walking back. To, I remember walking back to the halfway line, thinking, "Well, they're not going to score all five. But they did, and we lost five four. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's, that's why. I asked what, that's why I asked what level of football you were talking well, about. I mean, my, my no, 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 just quickly, Matt. Before you go on, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Because do you remember? And that's what it's all about. Do you remember playing when you had no nets? Yeah. Do you remember oh, yeah, how many yeah, ghost yeah. goals there was then? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we scored a goal and the referee gave it, and then the away team pulled the net out, and the ball was wrapped up in the outside of the net. And the referee said, well, I've given the goal now, so we've got to count it. Um, but at a slightly different level to um, 
to Simon's. Uh, my, my contribution for unlucky not to score um, is Pele. Not quite the Altrincham Sunday League level, but but uh, but thereabouts. Um, it always strikes me that it's amazing that for everything that he did in football, he, he's mainly remembered for on YouTube and everything for three misses, mm. all in the same tournament, the nineteen seventy World Cup. The first of which is his attempt from the halfway line, which goes just wide. Then in the next against Czechoslovakia, that was. Then in the next match against England, there's his header that he thought was a goal, except for Gordon Banks. And then my favourite of the lot is in the semi-final against Uruguay when he's he's put through uh, against Uruguay and doesn't even bother playing the ball, just runs past mm. it, completely mm. dummies the goalkeeper, goes and fetches it, and then his shot goes just wide of the far post. And it always just amazes me that those three moments are brilliant mm. and he didn't score any of them. Yeah. And he's saying he was overrated. Yeah, couldn't, he's no, he's no, um, he's no Simon Mullock. <laughs> Guys, look, you have to wrap Mbappe did something similar last night, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. Guys, thanks so much. I'm sure we're all going to mention Frank's name, Frank's goal in blue for team, but I'll let you finish. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Thanks to Matt, thanks to Simon, thanks to Andy, and thanks for everyone else for joining us. Hopefully we'll see you next week. 